The passage we'll be looking at tonight is from uh, the book of John, chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. That's page 906 in the Church Bible. That's John, chapter 20, verses 19 to 31, page 906. In the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, It is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But... These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Sukhan, thank, thank you for reading for us. Uh, as usual, uh, you should have on the back of the service sheet, there's a, an outline for you just to show you where we're heading um, this, this evening. And uh, we'd encourage you to have your Bible open in front of you just to see um, what we're going to be uh, spending our time on uh, uh, there. Let me pray as we come to this passage. Last week we heard the Lord Jesus say these words. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Our Father, as we 
come once again to this Gospel of John at the end of Easter weekend. We thank you for all that we've heard so far of the Lord Jesus, all that he has said, and all that he did for us. And so we pray as we come to this um, passage, this appearance of the Lord Jesus to his disciples, we pray that we would listen to his voice because we know that he speaks the truth. Help us to understand what your word says and help us to obey in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So John chapter 20. Uh, Let me fill you in on the story. I'm sure most of you are familiar, having been around um, for a little while over this weekend. Um, But as we've got to this point, Jesus has been crucified by the Jewish leadership and the Roman authorities, a big combination of the two. He's been buried in a garden tomb, and it's now the Sunday. And some strange things have been happening. Mary Magdalene has discovered an empty tomb, the body of Jesus no longer there. Peter and John, they've rushed over to see it for themselves. They could verify that report. The body of Jesus had indeed gone. And then later, as we heard this morning, Mary had come to the disciples with another report. She'd stayed behind in the garden and she'd met who she thought at first was the gardener, but he spoke to her by name and she realised that it was the Lord Jesus that she had seen. It's amazing news, an amazing report, but as yet none of the 12 disciples have actually seen the risen Jesus. Now you may have picked up as the account was read, there's a lot in this account about seeing and believing and believing without seeing. Each of the characters, Mary included actually, they struggle to believe without seeing clearly that Jesus has risen from the dead. Now that's entirely understandable, isn't it? Wouldn't we be just like them? Dead people don't come back, we all know that. And in this case, there can be no doubt that Jesus was very dead. Crucified by the Romans, those masters of death. Nailed by his hands and feet in public shame for all to see. The crowd saw him die. In the end, pierced through by a spear. And these soldiers knew their business. They knew how to slip the blade up through the ribcage into the heart. Blood and water poured out. John saw it. They don't make mistakes, things like that. And then he was buried, heavy spices laid upon him, linen wrapped round him. If he hadn't been dead already, then he certainly would have been suffocated by that. Jesus was dead, dead, dead. No doubt about it. So this claim that he is now alive, it's too much to take. I mean, is it wish fulfillment? Some people would say that. Mary, she so desperately wanted to see Jesus that to be alive that she just imagined him as such. Maybe it's mistaken identity. Maybe it's just someone who looked like Jesus or an imposter. Or maybe, maybe it's a ghost that Mary saw, an apparition or a spirit. That would be more plausible, surely. But if that was the case, or if any of those things was the case then, well, where is the body? That's a mystery. What's become of it? It, it, I mean, it can't actually be true, can it? That Jesus is physically, bodily, raised from the dead. All these 
thoughts. These are the things that the disciples are wrestling over on this first Easter Sunday night. And of course, we recognize those questions in ourselves. And we recognize those questions from people out there in the world. Can we really believe that this happened in history? That Jesus was crucified, that he was buried, and then on the third day that he rose from the dead. Throughout John's account, the disciples are fearful, they're doubting, they're disbelieving. They're like us if this news came to us. But something happened that Sunday night. Something they saw and heard that convinced them that Jesus really was risen. Physically risen from the dead. And so strongly were these doubters convinced that they would give their lives to preaching that it was true, even being killed themselves for testifying to it. What was it that persuaded them? Well, let's turn and see. We're going to look at this in three parts, this account, uh, which are on the back of the service sheet. So here's the first part, verse 19 to 23. The resurrected Jesus gives peace and purpose to fearful disciples. The other gods were strong, but thou was weak. They rode, but thou did stumble to a throne. But to our wounds only God's wounds can speak, and not a God has wounds, but thou alone. It's a quote from a poem by an English church minister in the south of England, a guy called Edward Shilito, and it's called Jesus of the Scars. He wrote it just at the end of the First World War. Uh, he was reflecting on the trauma and suffering that he and others had encountered. If you just look to either side of me, you can see these memorials up on the wall, um, 30, 40, 50 names. To us, they're people in the distant past, but to a guy like Edward Chilito, he put these memorials up. These were people in his congregation. And not only that, not just the dead, but the suffering, the wounded as well. And so he wrote this poem, and it speaks to those who struggle to cope with the wounds that they bear from the suffering in this life, and those who are suffering from grief, and it finds comfort in this truth that the resurrected Jesus, God in the flesh, who suffered and died for his people, is one whose wounds are still carried upon his resurrection body. To our wounds only God's wounds can speak, and not a God has wounds, but thou alone. John 20 was special to him and his congregation as they dealt with that suffering and grief. The disciples of Jesus, they saw the wounds and it changed them. Let's look at what happened. Verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the resurrection Sunday in the evening, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews... We find the disciples fearful. They've gathered together in a house in Jerusalem, perhaps even the same room where they gathered with Jesus before his death. 
And they've bolted the doors because they're afraid. Jewish authorities had slaughtered their master and they feared a clean-up operation that would take them out too. And it's not unrealistic. It's well within their capability. And of course, Jesus had protected them thus far, but now he's not around. Except that suddenly he was. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. It seems that Jesus' resurrected body has both physical and supernatural qualities. It seems to have some kind of continuity with his body before he he died. It really is him, but there's also some discontinuity. He is changed. So if we look back at the account, he seems to pass through the linen wrappings in the tomb somehow earlier on, emerging from them. First, he's not quite recognised by Mary, but only when he says her name does she see that it is indeed him. He must look somewhat different, but not entirely. And here he seems as if to appear from nowhere, passing through the walls somehow into a locked room. Yet it is really and physically him. Uh, We saw that this morning too. Mary could hold on to him. And now we discover that his body still bears the wounds. Verse 20. When he'd said, peace be with you, he showed them his hands and his side. And this is what convinces the disciples that it's really him. That it could be no one else than their Lord returned from the dead. And their grief turns to joy. The translation we have understates it. Um, It says then the disciples were glad. It, It actually says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They were convinced Let's just give our attention to what Jesus says to them. He gives them his peace and then his purpose. So first he says, peace be with you. In fact, three times uh, he says that. John loves three sets of three. It's an emphatic point that he makes when he, does, when he writes like that. Three times he says, peace be with you. Two here and then two on the next occasion. A face value, that's just a greeting, a way of um, what you sort of say when you go into someone's house in that culture. But it is more than that, I think. It it reassures the disciples, first of all, that, that Jesus has not held their failures against them. Remember, they've abandoned him. They've not believed his word about the resurrection. In Peter's case, he's denied knowing him. So Jesus' word of peace here is a reassurance of forgiveness for those failures. He's not held it against them. But it is too a reminder of the words that Jesus had spoken to them in the upper room about his coming death. See there too in that room they were fearful and there too Jesus spoke with them. Let's pick out a couple of verses. Chapter 14 verse 27. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And again, verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. 
in the world, you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Perhaps you can hear the pattern, they're afraid, the world's opposed to them, and Jesus comes and he gives them his peace. Now the disciples don't learn this instantly, in fact a week later, we'll see a bit later on, they're still locking the doors. But they will come to gain his peace as they go on trusting him. Jesus gives his peace to them in the midst of a hostile world and he still does to us today. And this is one of the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for us. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can have peace in this troubled world. Peace in the face of the sufferings of this world. Peace in the face of death. And peace as the world still opposes the followers of Jesus. And you'll feel that opposition. You feel it in school. You feel it in university, in the workplace, and anywhere else. If Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, then there really would be no comfort at all in facing such opposition. We'd be all on our own. We'd be terrified that what happened to him would happen to us also. But if he has been raised from the dead, well, then the whole world could be against us. Indeed, we may suffer and we may even be killed as he was, but we need not be afraid because he's overcome the world and he will bring us through death into eternal life. That's the first thing that the resurrected Jesus gives his disciples and us, his peace. Next, Jesus gives them purpose. This is verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you commissions his disciples he gives them their purpose what will mark the course of their lives and from here on out and again if if the resurrection hadn't happened well it's all over isn't it there's no purpose of following jesus jesus at all Uh, this new religion it goes nowhere but having risen jesus now sends them out into the world as he was sent out by his father Now in John, Jesus is very clear on why he was sent by his father. He was sent to do his father's will, to proclaim his word, which offers salvation to all who believe in him. So if the father's sending them out as he sent Jesus out, then this is here what they're supposed to do. This is their purpose. They are sent out to continue Jesus' mission, to fulfill his father's will by preaching his word and offering salvation through faith in Jesus. That's a big challenge, isn't it? And so in order to do that, they're going to need some help, and they're going to need to know the effect of their ministry. This is verse 22. When he said this, that is, that he was sending them out, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they have forgiven them, If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. 
Now, this is uh, what I want to call the tricky bit. Um, just try and stay with me. Uh, notice that these two verses, first of all, they flow out of the previous verse about the mission of the disciples. So this is what it's about. It's about their mission. Jesus breathes on them. Now, that might sound a bit, a bit odd, uh, but it's a kind of symbolic gesture. It points to what will happen later at Pentecost, that Jesus is enacting what will happen, that he will send his spirit, he will fill his disciples with his spirit. But for what purpose? Why do they need the spirit? They need it for his mission, because he's sending them out to preach. Earlier in John chapter 3, verse 34, John was speaking about Jesus' mission. And he said this, He whom God has sent, that's Jesus, he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. See the connection again between the Spirit being given and the words? He whom God has sent, that's Jesus in this case, utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. He's tying the preaching of God's word with the gift of the Spirit in Jesus' life, in Jesus' mission. The Spirit was given to Jesus by the Father to enable him to preach the word of God. And now Jesus says to his disciples, just as he was sent by the Father, so he is sending his disciples with the same Spirit to do the same thing, to preach his word. Okay, still, still with me? Now when we get, when we get that, I think we, we can then make sense of what verse 23 is, which is really the tricky verse uh, to understand. It's speaking about the effect of the spirit-filled preaching of the disciples, the effect of their mission to proclaim the gospel. Here's verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Through the preaching of the gospel, forgiveness of sins from God, notice it's God who forgives and God who withholds, forgiveness of sins from God will come into the life of those who respond to the gospel in faith. And from those who don't respond in faith, forgiveness is withheld by God. As they preach the message, some will refuse it, but others will respond in faith and be forgiven. This will become their purpose of their lives from now on, the preaching of the gospel. Okay, that's the tricky bit over. So here's, here's what we've seen so far. Here's the summary of our first point this evening. The resurrected Jesus, the one who still bears the wounds, gives his peace to his disciples that they need not fear, even if the worst happens to them. And he gives them his purpose. They're sent out into the world in the power of the Spirit to proclaim the good news that Jesus really is alive, offering forgiveness to all who will believe in him. This peace and purpose came to these men and it has been passed down to us. We too may be fearful and we may be opposed by the world 
Yet by the grace of God, we also receive the Spirit of God so that we can proclaim this gospel in the world. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we too are given this peace and we're given this purpose. That's the first point. On to our second point, verse 24 to 28. The resurrected Jesus gives grace to a doubting disciple. Now let me ask you a question. Do you suffer from FOMO? Do you know what FOMO is? Um, You may not know. It's fear of missing out. If If you suffer from this, you feel that, well, you have to be at everything in case something really amazing happens or important happens and you aren't there for it. You've missed out. Now, if you already have FOMO, uh, then this passage is really not going to help you very much at all. Um, But if you don't, well, you might get FOMO just from hearing about it because we discover that one of Jesus' disciples actually missed out on seeing the resurrected Jesus, Thomas. Now, we don't know why he wasn't there, but what a thing to miss. I mean, of all the occasions in history, to not be there when you're supposed to be That was a big one. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. He missed it. Now listen to his response to the news. Verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Doubting Thomas, and it slipped into our English language as a result of this incident. Now he might be slightly hard done by um, by that reputation. Um, After all, the other disciples, they don't believe Mary's reports. Uh, they all saw Jesus physically before they accepted the truth that he is risen. And again, it's, it's un- somewhat understandable to have some doubts, isn't it, that, that dead people don't come back. And you understand that. But Thomas does go a little bit further, doesn't he? Just look at what he says. It is a stubborn doubt. Unless I see the ha- in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. It's not I can't believe it or I'm struggling to believe it. It's stronger than that. It's I won't believe it unless I see him physically here in front of me, unless I see the wounds. In fact, even further than that, unless I touch them for myself. Thomas is left with his doubts for one more week. I wonder what he did in that week, what that week was like for him. Uh, The next Sunday, it's Jewish counting. Jewish counting included the day that you were on, so eight days is a a week later. Uh, The following Sunday, they're inside the room again, and the doors are locked again. And then isn't this gracious of Jesus? Jesus appears in the same way and speaks the same words, peace be with you. 
So Jesus wasn't physically present for the previous conversation, but he heard Thomas speaking, heard his stubborn doubts. Jesus knew what the problem was, and we know that because he does exactly what Thomas had asked for, verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hands and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. How gracious it is of the Lord to deal with this doubting disciple in this way. It's not good to doubt the Lord's word. Jesus would have been justified in letting him go there and then. But instead he met with Thomas and showed him his hands and his side. Just a gentle rebuke. Come on, Thomas. Time for you to leave that stubborn doubt behind. Do not disbelieve, but believe. The effect on Thomas's heart is dramatic and immediate. He doesn't even need to put his hands in the wounds. Did you notice that? He repents of his unbelief. And he gives us perhaps the clearest and most emphatic statement of faith in the whole of John's gospel. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Stubborn skeptic has seen the wounds on the physical, living, breathing man, Jesus Christ, and has come to the only logical conclusion, given the evidence, that Jesus must be God himself. And we come to the application of these verses, which is our final point, verse 29 to 31. That the resurrected Jesus gives life to unseeing but believing disciples. The pathway to faith of Thomas is not recommended. It's an act of grace to him, but it's not the most blessed way. So of course, if you if you lived in first century Judea, around AD thirty-three, and and you happen to be in Jerusalem at the Passover at this time, and, well, if you were part of this small group of people in this locked room, well, then you could have seen the resurrected Jesus in the flesh. You could have seen the wounds. You could have touched them. Jesus invited you to do that. But Jesus knows that that gracious privilege can only be given to the few who are there. He's departing to be with his father in heaven and from then on until his return he will be hidden from physical sight but here Jesus teaches something really remarkable doesn't uh, you notice this in verse uh, 29 he says that it's more blessed for those who did not see him yet still believed in him Jesus said to Thomas have you believed because you've seen me Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's speaking about us. 
Centuries later, a continent away from a different people group and a different language to these first disciples, though we have not seen him, we have believed in him, the resurrected Lord Jesus. As Jesus says, we are more blessed than those who were there on that evening in the room with him. And John takes this opportunity to interject and tell us that this is why he's written this book. Verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Who's the you in verse 31? It's you. And anyone who reads John's gospel, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It's a fitting verse with which to end Easter Sunday. This whole book, all that John has told us, particularly what we've seen over the last few days, it reaches its climax in these events with the disciples And it's to lead us to faith in the risen Jesus Christ. We've not seen him in the flesh, but others did. And John has recorded the testimony of those who did. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was crucified and buried, but now lives. That he appeared to his disciples, that they saw him, that they saw the wounds. These weren't gullible believe anything types. They didn't easily believe, did they? They were sceptical, but they became convinced. So convinced, in fact, that they were willing to die in order to tell the world that it was true. Something they saw and heard that Sunday night changed them from fearful and doubting and not knowing what to do to being at peace and full of purpose that they would boldly preach of their resurrected wound-bearing saviour to a world that will eventually kill them for it. And what best explains that transformation in these people? That it's true that they saw him and that he sent them out in the power of his spirit. Well, we believe in this resurrected Jesus. The promise is here for us that if we do believe in him, that we are given life, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, a personal relationship with our heavenly father, And if we believe in him, well, what does this passage tell us we will do? That we will receive the peace and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and be given the spirit of God to proclaim this news so that other people might come to believe it as well. Let's pray.
Our Father, we confess this evening, on this Easter Sunday evening, that we believe that your son Jesus rose from the dead. That that was not a, a hallucination or a ghost, but the real physical body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful reminder that he lives. And we pray that this knowledge would captivate our hearts. We pray, Lord God, that you would give us joy, as the disciples were were joyous as they saw the Lord. We pray that we would know your peace. And we pray, Lord God, that we would take up the purpose that you give to your disciples to proclaim this good news to the world. Help us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.